1: Welcome back the ND on NBC Podcast. As always, you're presented by Under Armour. You know, Doug Farmer does such an excellent job covering the Irish for NBCSports.com. And of course, Corey Robinson, my tag team partner down there pre game, halftime, post game for the Notre Dame coverage. Fellas, one of the biggest, loudest weeks that I have ever seen. Being a student at Notre Dame, covering Notre Dame, being around it after, you know, being a student there. This was a wild one. Corey, let me start with you. What was your first reaction when you heard that Coach Kelly was leaving for LSU?
0: I, I needed to actually put my phone on airplane mode. That was my first reaction. I was like, man, I need, I need time to think about this as an independent individual just for a moment. I just need to, I need to come up with my own take because there are so many people asking me questions with multiple exclamation points and multiple question marks. And I think at the end of it, after it settled for a couple of days, uh, my first reaction was why now and the other thing i wanted to know first and foremost was what does jack swarbrick think so after watching that press conference and inciting even that restlessness that jack saw in coach kelly then i realized okay this might not be just about the team it might not be just about uh, legacy this is one of those things where you know to coach college football it's a hard job, Jack. You got to want to do it all the time. I mean, it's it's 24 twenty four seven, and if you find reasons, you know, to coach into your seventies, um, you got to be excited to go to work to every single day. And I think that that side of the equation, like the what does Brian Kelly think side of the equation, as the guy who actually has to go to work and live and operate under that microscope that is Notre Dame football that he's been, oh no done, done for over twelve for twelve years, um, that's a decision he only he can make. So I was trying to piece all these you know, pieces together without being a fan or a former player. I was just thinking, what does Coach Kelly think and
2: what does Jack think?
1: Mm-hmm. How about for you, Doug?
2: Well, Corey mentioned time to think on his own, and, and my role is a little bit different. My thinking was, what is the timing on this? Because I need to get enough work done to be ahead of it before it became official. And if I'm being completely honest, on Sunday I had an inkling this might be possible just based on Lincoln Riley going to USC. LSU had to go get somebody. But on Sunday, I figured, well, it'll be after next Sunday, after the playoff rankings are out. So, and it picked up steam on Monday. My thought was, well, this timing is way off. This timing is way too quick. Because until now, it's incomprehensible that a coach would leave a team with an active chance at the national championship. I don't think you could find any example in sporting history, let alone college football history, where a coach has left a team with a tangible, a possible real chance at a championship and just left it on his own volition. And so in that respect, my shock was, well, the timing on this makes no sense. The timing on this is a week early. The timing on this truly baffled me for a good stretch.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, the, the first thing from my standpoint was, I guess you just never really know what somebody's truly thinking. You know, you just never know what's going on inside somebody's mind. Because in, in my brain, it was so clear cut and obvious that Kelly would coach about three more years, maybe five more years at a max at Notre Dame and chase this national championship over this window. And I thought it would be some of the best teams that he would have to be able to go deal with. I think this offensive line is going to be awesome. Freeman, if he can keep him to coach the defense, I think the defense is going to be so talented. If he can keep Tommy Reese around to run the offense, it's going to be a legitimate chance to go do some big things with this roster. But it just wasn't what he was thinking. It feels like he was ready for some some fresh weather, a fresh contract, maybe a bigger jet. Whatever he put in that contract, he was ready for Uh, and apparently he's ready to coach longer than I thought, too, which obviously changes those plans. Um, he and his family came to a decision. and It sounds like maybe the only person I know of that had even a slight indication that this could be coming was Jack Sorbrick. And now it feels to me like he had this succession plan ready to rock and roll, and we've seen it all play out.
0: I, I will say the one thing I'm curious about thinking about uh, the word Thinking right is what do fans think uh, and what will they think? You know, because right now we're we're in a moment where there's a knee jerk reaction from whatever side you're on just because it happened right. so quickly. You almost feel a little blindsided. But I wonder um, how will Notre Dame fans remember Coach Kelly? He's the winningest coach in Notre Dame history. No national championships. One year shy of New Rockney's thirteen seasons. You know, when you look at legacy on paper, he's right there with with Coach Rockney. But how will he live in in the memory of Notre Dame fans? Because what he has done is interesting. Um, He's kind of challenged that idea that Notre Dame is the job in college football, not a job in college football. And I think that is going to be pretty interesting, especially if they go for a younger head coach like Freeman. Um, Will Freeman be there for the next 30 years? You know, now it's going to be one of those things like, what happens to the Notre Dame job? You don't just go there and retire. Now it's just a job.
2: You know, Corey, you, you kind of tee me up there. The thought is, you know, the old adage is 20 years of good reputation ruined by five minutes of bad choices. Well, Brian Kelly's reputation in Notre Dame fans' eyes was 12 years of great reputation, three unbeaten regular seasons, three title shots, undone by one dark of night trip to LSU. In every interaction I've had this week with any Notre Dame fans, it's just outrage. And that's going to temper if Marcus Freeman succeeds as he is expected to be named Notre Dame's head coach. But right now, it is still just frustration and anger with Brian Kelly. And it would be less if he had waited for this team to not have a national championship shot.
1: Doug, I may be stepping out of line here, but I'm going to do it anyways. To me, it felt like it was the right time. It just felt like it was the right time, and and I don't think it's the right time in terms of you know this team's still in the thick of it and whatever, whatever, whatever. But it very quickly for me was you saw one door shut and another door just immediately open. And I think a lot of people had excitement around the idea that Freeman could start running this program, had a year to learn from Kelly, keep a guy like Elson on the staff, keep Tommy Reese in place, keep Bayless in place. They got the big three. They kept the big three that they really wanted. I think there's going to be a youthful, fresh, exciting energy that we've already seen with Freeman, with Tommy Reese, and now you just let those guys go take over and do it their way, it could get scary, and I think that's what it's going to be.
2: I don't disagree, Jack, but I have to say you're saying that with some hindsight. You're saying that with Marcus Freeman already staying, Tommy Reese telling the team, it's on Twitter, I'm bleeping staying. With Matt Bayless telling the team, my dream is to die coaching you guys. Right. But. Monday evening, you wouldn't have thought that. Monday evening, you're thinking, oh, Jack Swarbrick might wait to see how Cincinnati and Luke Fickle play out. And in that interim, Brian Kelly is going to offer the full bag to Freeman and Reese, which he did, looking to make both of them the highest-paid coordinators in the SEC, a conference known for spending some money. And so you can say now it feels like the right time, but Monday and Tuesday in the Notre Dame sphere, it was panic. It was Brian Kelly just left, and he took the program with him. And yes, that changed very quickly Wednesday. But for a good stretch there, it looked like Brian Kelly just—he's going to go create Notre Dame South, and Notre Dame North has been doing pretty well. Notre Dame South is going to do even better. So there was that. There was understandable panic in that respect.
1: That was never going to happen, and I knew that that was never going to happen. I knew Tommy Reese wasn't going to go, and I knew Freeman wasn't going to go. Now Bayless, I didn't know about. I will—I will admit that. But one and two, I knew we're not
0: going to follow. Go ahead but Jack, it's interesting because I, I see where Doug's coming from. There was that breath; you, everyone was holding their breath, they're like oh, because you saw what it. happened with Oklahoma, right? With Lincoln Riley, he took some guys over to USC. We saw some uh, there were some decommitments, some big time decommitments. Now they're flipping over USC. Early signing periods coming up, and with the coaching calendar, the thing about the timing aspect for me, I had thought of it when I when I sat back and thought about it rationally. I was thinking, okay, well if a guy like Kyle Hamilton or, you know, whoever else, I got to play with Jalen Smith who got injured in the bowl game. Right. And since then you've seen guys say, okay, well, will I play in this bowl game or will I just go straight for the draft? If, if one of your best players decides to opt out of a draft uh, for their own personal reasons, sorry, opt out of the bowl game for their own personal reasons to prepare for the draft as a fan, you can't get mad at that. Right. Despite what it does to your team. Um, and I think for a coach, why wouldn't it be the same? And I think that was a fair question. I was just tossing around, but I do see what Doug's saying where like, wait a second, if you're going to blow up everything, just like Lincoln Riley did, that's a different equation entirely. If you know that Tommy Reese already, it's his offense, Marcus Freeman, it's his defense. And then you have you know the the head coach, which is more like a CEO anyways in establishing culture, which he did. And now the players imbibe that culture. And now they have their own culture that is self-sustaining. Then in my mind, this is almost like, you know, a, a coach in the NBA getting a technical, throwing himself out of the game to get his team up and ready for the, the second half. Like mm-hmm. that's that's a pretty interesting analogy in this scenario, because we always see Notre Dame go to the postseason and get, you know, quite frankly, embarrassed. Right. And that's and, that, and this is kind of like the, the coach tech analogy. Corey, I love you-
2: that analogy at the end, but I do want to clarify. Brian Kelly didn't opt out of a bowl game. Brian Kelly opted out of a possible playoff berth. We haven't seen a player do that. We've seen players opt out of bowl games, opt out of New Year's Six Bowls. But Brian Kelly took himself out of a possible national championship situation. And that is different in my mind. And that is what so many fans, and in this respect, I understand their frustration. Brian Kelly put together 12 very good years in Notre Dame. Brian Kelly built this program, like you said. He deserves a lot of credit. But anger about leaving a team when they, they could win the national championship, probably won't. Probably won't make the play, but could. There is a difference between that and somebody avoiding Jalen Smith's injury. There, yeah. in, my, in my mind, as long as that playoff is possible, you it's unfathomable to me. It's just so shocking. And that's where the difference is. But to your point of the NBA Tech? that's a great analogy. And everything we're seeing from this team right now in the last two days, they have taken this personally and are going to treat it like the coach getting himself ejected.
1: Yeah. Don't you think, though, that Jack Jack had a pretty good sense? Jack Jack is one of the wisest, sharpest dudes. And if you don't know him as a negotiator and as a planner, this dude has got some wizardry about him. And, I, and people who do know him know what I'm talking about with that. So I, I just think he had a decent sense, especially based on those comments right after, that there was a chance, maybe not this year, maybe next year, that Brian Kelly could be enticed by a big-time offer. You're telling me that all day long Swarbrick's not sitting there thinking, This is what I would do. This is what I would do. This is what I would do. And I thought what was most impressive is that he met with Tommy Reese first, talked to Tommy Reese. From what I understand from that conversation, Tommy Reese was heavily endorsing Marcus Freeman to become the next head coach. Then he goes to talk to Bayless, gets Bayless signed, and then the following day ends up pushing back his meeting with Coach Freeman to make sure that if I get piece one and I get piece two, that Freeman will stay. He was setting up the infrastructure so that when Freeman took over – There was this stability. There was this entire plan for him to go operate. They met for four or five hours, and they mapped it out. And Freeman already knows how to recruit, which is the most important piece of all. So I just thought it was beautiful to watch Forbert go. Okay, that's piece one, piece two, piece three, piece four. Let's go rock and roll. And he did it all in about a day. It was was really crazy to watch.
2: And, Jack, to my understanding, that was kind of contingent. If Reese goes to LSU, it's not Freeman and Odane. They wanted to have that infrastructure maintained and then Freeman just take over and and do so in his own fashion. But they didn't want our Bayless. I don't know if Bayless was as much of a deal breaker, but Reese in particular, if Reese goes, we've got to really reset things here. But if we can keep both these top two, then we can just keep this running. We've won 54 games in the last five years. We're on the cusp of the playoff right now. Let's just keep it going exactly as it is.
0: Mm-hmm, mm
1: mm-hmm. it's, it's been a crazy, crazy, crazy 24 hours. Like So, so as you look towards the playoff, like, there's one piece of my brain that goes, so why did Kelly leave before the playoff? Is he scared of a matchup against George? Is he scared of it happening again? Is that part of it? I mean, you guys tell me, is that potentially part of it? Is that why he did that when he did it? Uh,
2: I, podcasting is a visual medium. I'm currently rubbing my fingers together in the universe. <laughs> I, I imagine LSU said, here's a million dollars more per year if you come this week. Our recruiting class is teetering. The PR spa cycle on this is going terribly after Lincoln Riley went to USC. We will give you an extra million. I, I, that has to be what happened.
0: I, I think as a competitor, you're not afraid of you want to play the best teams. you know. So I, from from my perspective as a player, and I expect my coach – if I'm playing for somebody, don't has, want I say, look, you know, we're, we're going to go out there and we're, we're going to believe in against
1: the world. But it hasn't gone well though, and, it, and he's had teams that I'm sure in his mind were better than this team that he's gotten blown out by those schools. So do you, you think? Is, you don't, you but but Jack, but,
0: it. you don't get a, You don't get it to become the head coach of Notre Dame if you're afraid to play people. <laughs> I mean, so saying, you
1: know, you, you but all these ten win seasons he's put together, right? If he goes out there against Georgia, and gets blown out again. It deflates that entire balloon, and he knows that. So if he gets out before that happens, he gets to LSU and signs on for a couple zillion dollars. That's his way to do it, and he would know that.
2: Jack, I got to side with Corey on this one. And earlier this week, in his introductory press conference at at LSU, he Brian Kelly was asked. Did those blowouts make you think you had to go somewhere else? And his response was, losing just makes me want to keep building. After Notre Dame got its keister handed to it by Alabama last year, he was more combative in that post-game press conference than in any other post-game press conference in the last five years. He knew Notre Dame had gotten to the playoff, lost again. Okay, we need more offensive skill players. We're going to go get more offensive skill players. He was doubling down, and it's worked in – more offensive skill players? You've seen them this year. Freshman, Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey, Logan Diggs, Audric Estime. He found more of those young skill players. I don't think it was fear of Georgia. I mean, understandably so, if so, because Georgia's really, really good. They've given him oh, yeah. a touchdown per game this season. But I think Brian Kelly would have gladly taken. like if, if his options were miss the playoff or get beaten up in the playoff again, he would have gone and gotten beaten up in the playoff again and, and doubled down in 2022. He left
1: before that even had a possibility of happening. So how can you even say that? I mean, he dipped before that even became a scenario.
2: You've heard my opinion of leaving while a national championship is still in play. We've heard the players' opinions of leaving when a national championship is still in play. We've heard their opinions of saying a two-minute goodbye at a 7 a.m. meeting when a national championship is still in play.
0: And it's interesting, too. I, You know, me, Jack, and and Doug, uh, I'm a fan of history, right? And you just look back at how Coach Kelly left Cincinnati, you know, it's almost like very similar scenarios, right, where uh, I don't think he's afraid of the negative pushback. If he feels like he's in a, in a very convicted about something, he's going to do it. And, and we saw that when, the, you know, he left that undefeated Cincinnati team to come take a job at Notre Dame. And we saw the pushback from players and, you know, from, from the newspapers about that as well.
2: Corey, let me ask you, you're not only a former player, you're a former player of Brian Kelly's. This is a hypothetical But is there a way for him to leave before a bowl game or before a playoff where it's less of a bitter taste? Is there anything that can be done by that coach where it's not, oh, you? Uh, Well,
0: I think let's look at let's look at that's an interesting question, because I think from my perspective, this is the this was the question that I was wrestling with all week with my phone on airplane mode, Doug, is why could a player do this in theory? if it was for the best thing for them and their family, but a coach cannot. And that's why for me, I'm just trying to understand that as, as a neutral party. But when you put in Notre Dame, those two words make this a very different equation because Notre Dame, isn't just a football team. And it isn't just a university. Anyone who went to school at Notre Dame or has been a part of Notre Dame or has covered Notre Dame knows that people who love Notre Dame don't have to go to school there. (laughs) You know, like it's, it's a magical place. And if you are associated, if you get the privilege to be associated with Notre Dame, then that means that there are a different, there are different option sets, there are different calculations that come in to your calculus that don't apply to other universities because it's Notre Dame. So that's why this this is a scenario where I'm like, okay, well, Coach Kelly's been at Notre Dame for a long time; he knows what it's like to be there. So that's why, as a player, I don't think there's any way you leave Notre Dame midseason that it's not bitter because it's just it's Notre Dame it's different
1: but he but he also knows what it's like to to play in the playoff he, he knows he's done it and Doug you can't tell me that he's gone to the playoffs with better teams you can't tell me that there's been better teams that they've gone to the playoff with if you asked him at about week five whether or not this was going to be a playoff team I don't think he would have said with much confidence with the fourth string left tackle on the field and a quarterback carousel that changed every single week that he thought this team could go beat Georgia So if he had decided that he needed to go to the SEC to win championships, to compete for championships, which very apparently, that's a piece of this, one's money and one's his ability to go compete for championships. He thought he could get more capable players at LSU. I'm not saying if it's right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just trying to get inside the man's head. He clearly got out before he had to go prove it against a team like Georgia, and that's the most likely opponent.
2: And, Jack, I, I still do not agree with you that he got out before he had to face Georgia, but I do agree with you regarding the SEC and, more specifically, LSU. LSU is the only coach-proof program in the country. The last three coaches there all won national championships. And no offense to Les Miles or Ed Orgeron, but two of them were far inferior coaches to Brian Kelly. I guess that is offending, Les Miles and Ed Orgeron. Oh, well. He's going to a program where he knows – that. Unless I, unless I really mess this up, we're going to be really good. And that alone should be enticing. To me, it's still the week – a week later makes more sense, and that's where I think it's money that moves things up a week. But LSU, more than the SEC, I, I get that decision. It's, it is the only coach-proof program in the country. Only team to win more national championships in the last two decades is Alabama, and we all know why. It's the first coach from LSU.
1: Yeah. If, if you're, so if you guys are Jack Swarbrick and, and we're sitting in the office and it comes down to, which is essentially what I've heard it came down to, Fickle or Freeman. Talk me through your thought process of choosing Freeman over Fickle.
2: For me, it's partly the timing. If, if you, I don't think you could get Fickle to come this week or probably this month. And given the talent on this roster, the talent that might be coming back or might be going elsewhere on this roster, guys like Isaiah Foskey, Kyron Williams, Jarrett Patterson, you don't know what they're thinking and the talent in the recruiting class. You should not make this decision based on one recruiting class, but it should factor in. I think those items made Jax Swarbrick think, I, get, I can't wait for Luke Fickle. I can't wait to talk to Luke Fickle, especially if, now I'm not saying it was 1A and 1B, but if, if Marcus Freeman was 1B and Jax Swarbrick is thinking, All right, so it's 1A with terrible timing that will hurt my talent, or 1B and everything is very good and I keep my talent, then 1B becomes 1A in its own way. From my
0: perspective, once again, let's just lay this out. We saw how uh, Riley's departure – this is so nice because we have two case studies happening in parallel times – and two historic programs, right, USC, Notre Dame, and their rivals. It's just like you couldn't write a better case study. So Riley leaves OU, right, and he had a Heisman hopeful right after he leaves Rattler transfers, right, and then the quarterback coming up then decommits from OU and goes to USC, right. What does that tell us is that players play for coaches just as much as they play for programs, right, so that's interesting, I think the next thing here is the transfer portal. No penalty. You can transfer right away. So what's stopping a guy like Foskey? What's stopping a guy, you know, like any of these guys from transferring and playing somewhere like Ohio State, Michigan, immediately, unless they love Notre Dame. That's, again, the key thing is not AUSC. We're talking about a place like Notre Dame where if you talk to any of those players in the locker room, they'll tell you why they chose Notre Dame over all those other schools, right? Because it's a very specific value proposition. That's quite honestly, I, in my mind, as unique as the service academies. There's only one Notre Dame. There's only, you know, three service academies. you know, it's like that level of unique in my mind. So I don't think you'll see the, the lack, you know, the transfer portals as much with the Notre Dame question, but all we had to do was just look at Riley's like seismic effect to understand what could have happened if Swarbrick went outside of a uh, Freeman. And then last but not least, what happened? Remember when Trevor Lawrence and all the players did that huge social media campaign um, we saw that there are power. There's power in being um, unified together as a body of athletes. And if you have a Freeman era social media campaign, and all the captains and all your best players are saying, "This is the guy that we champion. This is the guy we want," that mimics the pros in saying, "Hey, look, like we have the we have the ability. It's like free agency. We can go play whoever we want. We all know each other. We're all tight. And like <laughs> this is who we want. And if you're not going to give it to us, then why can't we just get in the group text and say let's all go to LSU next year?
2: You no know what I'm matter
0: go to Alabama next year. You know what
2: I'm saying? No matter how Brian Kelly does at LSU or how Marcus Freeman does at Notre Dame, I think the lasting legacy of this coaching change will be exactly what you're referencing. Players have never been so vocal or had the opportunity to be so vocal at the beginning of a coaching search. To whether it was a small influence or a great influence, it was still a very public influence on Jack Warburg's decision. It was past players which. No offense, Corey. In my opinion, don't matter that much in this conversation, especially when they're the guy's only two or three years out and not somebody who's on TV who gets more, more play with their words. It was current players and it was the recruits. It was offensive and defensive four-star recruits saying, they better hire Marcus Freeman. We've never heard that kind of player empowerment in college sports. And to me, that is going to be something that we look back on, no matter how this plays out. Of Yeah, remember when that first time players – chose their coach remember that first time the players had a hand in it whether it was a big hand or a little hand only Jack Swarbrick knows but it was some impact
1: right it's first time but important to know it's not going to be the last time this is what college football is going to be now is that your players have to love you and if they don't love you they're going to transfer they're going to start talking about how they don't love you and your whole program is going to crumble that that's why I just think that this is the right coach at the right time for Notre Dame, the fact that you can keep Tommy Reese. And to go back to that Fickle thing, like if you if you brought in Fickle, I think Freeman would have left. And so I don't think you could have had both. Um, so I think if you brought – he was so close to getting the head coaching job that I think if you had taken Freeman to the finish line and then brought in Fickle, who was his former boss, he probably would have either gone to Cincinnati for the head coaching job Perhaps he would have gone to Ohio state for a defensive coordinating job, or perhaps he would have gone anywhere else. I mean, he would have had unlimited options. I think we can all agree upon that. And what it came down to, in my opinion, was that free that Thorberg was not willing to give up Freeman. He was not willing to let Freeman walk. And especially if he could keep Tommy Reese too. But
0: right. yeah, the thing is you look at with Marcus Freeman, like I remember talking to him at pro day with you and, um, he got Notre Dame. He was there for like a week. And I was asking him questions about Notre Dame, I'm like, what do you like about the plays? And how do you like it? And he was telling me about Notre Dame. And I was like, look, man, I live and die in Notre Dame. <laughs> like Notre Dame's in my blood, right? Wow. And you get it. Like it's immediate. You resonate with what it means to be here. And even like the more since we've talked to him in the fall, every coach's meeting, he still like it's just more and more. He just gets the place. And like you said, it's it's clear he's a rising star, he's gonna be a head coach, not if it's when. And so when you have that char- like the charisma, the players love you, you have a top five recruiting class, you have all these stars, Michael Mayer, Kyron. all these guys, where it's like, will they leave, will they stay? You know he's gonna be a head coach eventually, and he immediately resonates with the Notre Dame vision. Even if you had a short list of I want these five coaches, you couldn't, you couldn't come up with anyone that you would want and and characteristics other than those, except for the age. That's the only if. And we know that once again, like Jack Swarbrick is not afraid to be innovative. We've seen that with the deals he's done over the the course of the past few years with different sponsors and with somehow keeping Notre Dame independent, but bringing everyone else into the ACC. Like we know he's not afraid of innovation.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Corey, to your point, I, uh, right now I have, I have Twitter open on my side screen here, just waiting for any possible official announcement so I, I'll, I'll hop off and finish a column on it. I don't think it's going to come right now, supposedly. And I say this in jest, Notre Dame is waiting for Jack Swarbrick to get back from a visit to the Vatican before they announce this, because we're just really carrying this week to all the possible extremes. But once that official announcement comes, the lead on my follow up story is Jack Swarbrick used to worry about hiring a, a, head, a proven head coach. This time, his number one worry was fit. And the only candidate who could prove fit was Marcus Freeman. Luke Fickle, Matt Campbell, any name you put out there wasn't what can't can't prove that fit. And so that's why, whether they're waiting for John, John, excuse me, University President John Jenkins, I think I misspoke earlier, to get back from the Vatican, or if that's just hyperbole, whenever that story comes out, officially announcing Marcus Freeman, you can believe the top line on the press release will say, fit, Marcus Freeman knows Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman loves Notre Dame. And that's where, above all the other candidates, especially Luke Fickle, despite him being a Midwestern Catholic, the only person who could prove that fit was Marcus Freeman, even if he hasn't been at Notre Dame for even 11 months yet.
1: I think Freeman is a very unique guy, and I made this point throughout the, the year as well, is that he's, he's old enough to feel like he could be a father figure and a mentor in your life, and he's young enough to where he can feel like he can be your best friend, and somehow he can do both at the same time. And I can't think of many humans that i have ever been around in my life They can do both of those things simultaneously. It's really amazing. You almost have to be around him to feel that. And I got the chance to talk to him last night after all of this had unfolded. And I think you could kind of hear the the weight and and sort of the awesome responsibilities that he is now. This happened so fast for him, too, right? I mean, this is as fast as it was. He didn't think Brian Kelly was going to leave. So this whole thing has just moved a 1,000 miles per hour for him. And now he's waking up, looking around and going, I am going to be the head coach at Notre Dame. And so now he has to figure out who he's going to be in that. Is he going to be the same guy as the defensive coordinator? Is he going to evolve into something else? My guess is he's going to keep that authenticity because that's what resonates with the players, the recruits. And I think it's going to get a guy like Kyle Hamilton to step out onto the field and want to play for him if they wind up making the playoff. Or I don't know if that was necessarily the case all along.
0: Well, check this out, though. This is what's so interesting about this is I I think it's amazing how quickly you forget do you remember the beginning of the season? How at First of all, everyone was so excited about Coach Freeman coming in. And then remember in the spring game, people were like, well, where's the blitz? Where are we going to see all this stuff? Obviously, no one's going to show their hand in the spring game. Then the fall, that first couple of weeks, I remember reading everything and, and it was like, wait a second, what's going on? Right. And then now fast forward just a few weeks later. And then now it's like, oh, Notre Dame's defense looking so good. And then now, of course, he's the pick for the head coach. So my, my thing is, he's gotten a taste of in one calendar year. Of what Coach Kelly has been, has endured for twelve years, <laughs> and it, and this is what the job entailed. That's what I mean. It's such a special place because you have to know Notre Dame, you have to love Notre Dame, and it has to it has to live in you, right? Like, and I think Coach Lou Holtz always says it the best every time he talks about Notre Dame because. This place is a hard place to coach. It's a hard place to play. But it's there's no better place to coach or play than Notre Dame. But Coach Freeman got the whole – he's seen everything now. So now he, there's no more surprises. <laughs> he knows what it's like to be on Corey, the – I had
2: I had readers comparing Marcus Freeman to Brian Van Gorder's last defenses. Like They were furious when Notre Dame gave up 71 points to Florida State and Toledo. And to spin it forward, I don't think that roller coaster is done. I don't mean to imply things are going to start badly, but this is a totally, totally reasonable hypothetical. He could open up in the playoff against Georgia, and that's just not going to go well for Notre Dame because, again, this Georgia team is a different breed. And do either of you, off the top of your head, know who Notre Dame opens his 2022 season against? At Marcus alma mater, Ohio State, in Columbus. He could very easily – again, I'm not predicting this, but it would not be shocking if his first two games, Notre Dame gets blown out. And you better believe right away then the fans will be back at the pitchforks.
0: This
1: is going to be, I I think that this is going to be a really talented team next year. Like I I understand that Ohio state's going to be really talented too. They're going to have a young quarterback with a year of experience under their belt. And they got all kinds of talent on that team. I I get that. Um, But sort of, first of all, they have to get the Georgia matchup. And I think we all three understand that there needs to be the perfect, you know, everything needs to fall perfectly in line for that to occur. And if they do wind up getting that Georgia matchup, I mean, that is that's trial by fire. If there's ever been trial by fire.
2: It's also it's also just great television, great entertainment. This Notre Dame team that got spurned by its leader now has a chance at the whole thing. It's it's a riveted storyline that nobody would ever believe if we put it in some movie. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think I think that's uh, another thing that's so fascinating to me, too, is when you look at the, the college football playoff, I think there is an element of marketability. And I think that there is – so when you look at this storyline, this Notre Dame team, whether you love or hate Notre Dame, you're going to want to watch whoever this coach is. And we assume it's going to be – I mean, it's almost a matter of time. It's Marcus Freeman. See him in his first debut against a Georgia team. As you mentioned, Doug, if you watched a snap of football, you would know that they are just playing out of their minds. So that is must-see. It sells itself, right? And I think that even might give Notre Dame an edge, a more of a a compelling argument to get in the playoffs. And then, like, last but not least, when you think about, yeah, it's going to be a big game, but imagine if this is his first win. Imagine if you win a title. Imagine the lore, the opportunity, the glory at a place like Notre Dame to go through this path this year with this team, all the offensive the linemen, all the quarterbacks. You would, I mean, this is immortalized. You're in college football history.
2: You two both know that the five national championship winning coaches at Notre Dame have statues around Notre Dame stadium. And yes, it is vaguely possible that Marcus Freeman could have a statue built after two games.
1: After a month on the job, (laughs) after one month on the job, I think the one thing I want to do before we get out of here is, is just give love to this group of players, because what they went through this week with their head coach leaving I don't think I've ever been as proud as an alum to watch the way that they handled themselves and carried the university, the way they they got out ahead of it and just sort of led. They just led. They almost showed old people, this is how you should do it. And it was like, man, is this amazing to watch it. And they almost kept the whole university you know, binded together throughout this process. So I thought that was pretty awesome to watch. And uh, having Freeman around for them to lean on, I'm sure, was big. Having Tommy Reese for a whole bunch of the offensive guys to lean on was big. But that is some hard, hard circumstances. And I can't think of one guy that sort of stepped out of bounds, if you will. They all were very professional about this.
2: The Tommy Reese video Notre Dame put out Wednesday night of him telling, to my eye, it's the offensive half of the roster it was clear they knew he was going to straight shoot him right in that moment, and his only intention was to straight shoot him in that moment. It's actually my understanding that for much of Wednesday, he kept the quarterback's room apprised of exactly what he was thinking, and a lot of it was, look, LSU is offering me a full bank. I, I need to feel the respect from Notre Dame to offer me most of the bank. And for him to have that kind of relationship with his players, that he can just say that straightforward, I want to be shown this amount of respect, and then, yeah, I'm your guy was to me really revealing that he has
1: that that peer relationship with these guys he's coaching. He does. I mean, Cory, Corey, you could you can speak to that too, right? Doesn't it just seem like these quarterbacks are almost yes, he's their boss and their mentor, but almost it almost seems like he's best friends with them too.
0: Uh, yeah, look at Ian Book and Tommy's relationship. But Coach Reese, I mean, I got a chance to play with him. And you know, I, he he's just an awesome leader. So mm-hmm. I'm so happy for him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. an awesome leader, but does it in his own way, and it feels authentic and young and fresh and true to Tommy. So it's pretty cool, guys. So we got two young leaders. We'll see what happens. Making a a tough test right off the bat. We'll find out. I know we're all going to be sitting on the couch locked in this weekend to some great games. Really appreciate you guys doing this, and uh, Freeman Era, let it begin.
2: Let it begin.